Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. Good morning, ladies. Good morning, everyone joining us on live stream. I invite everybody to take a seat. Have a couple of announcements for you this morning. First one, remember that we are collecting $5 gift cards to area coffee shops. If you brought one today, just drop it in your box, and Katie is going to pick those up before she leaves today. Uh, We'll have one more week to do that as well. So next week, if you'd like to contribute, that's for Foster Community Appreciation Week, where Foster Love tries in so many unique ways to bless our foster community um, one week each year. So we're contributing to that. The other announcement is coming up on February 28th is a very special uh, night of worship only for women, and it's our Lent worship night. So Lent starts March, I always say May, March 2nd, and so we're going to meet on the Monday before that, February 28th, in this room, 630. Uh, We're going to hear... Some testimonies from some of the women in our body. It's always a really, really powerful time. We're going to worship together, and then we're going to learn some ways that you might incorporate celebrating Lent with your families, individually, with your spouses. So I want to invite everybody to come. You'll start seeing the sign-up for that on on social media today, but it's on our website if you want to go there as well. It's just helpful for me to plan if you can RSVP, but you can just come that night, and that is just fine. So that's coming up February 28th. All right, let's um, stand together. We're going to sing a hymn this morning. This is a hymn that was written in the year 1529. So it's really old. And the words were penned by Martin Luther, uh, but they couldn't be more appropriate to what the church is facing in Acts that we've just studied. They are facing extreme persecution, and they need a mighty fortress. And that's what this song talks about. There's a time in in here where the word is... um, Lord Sabaoth, and if that's a name that you haven't heard of God, that is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of angel armies, uh, and I just think that's a really cool uh, part of the song. So let's sing this together.
be seated. I love that song so much. I'm excited to uh, introduce our speaker for today um, and invite her up on the stage. This is Carol Lynch. Many of you know Carol. She's been with us in this Bible study uh, for many years, and I'm just so excited. Carol's been such an encouragement, a blessing to me, and I am excited for what the Lord has to say through her. So if you will join me in praying for Carol, I'll turn it over to her. Oh God, we are so grateful to be in your presence. We thank you that you are our mighty fortress, that we can trust you, that you have given us victory. Our victory is secure in you. And so I want to claim that victory for Carol this morning. Pray that you would give her courage and strength and, and wisdom. And would you help us to listen for you? Listen to what you might have to say to us through your servant, Carol, and help us to see maybe something new or hear something new or understand something new that we can put into practice through the power of your Holy Spirit alive in us. So we give you all praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Carol, and it is a pleasure to be here with so many happy, smiling faces. Please keep smiling. Our family moved to Temple about 26 years ago, and within just a few days, our children had been invited to TBC by our wonderful neighbors, Rick and Noreen Erickson. And our children came home and proceeded to tell us that we could go to church wherever we wanted to go to church, but they were going to TBC. So that seemed like a good choice for us, and so we have been here ever since. My husband retired from the Navy Dental Corps after 26 years, and since we still had three children to educate, he was able to work at the VA Dental Clinic here in Temple. He has now been retired for 11 years, and so to save you from doing the math, I'll just say we have been here a long time and that we are now enjoying our senior years. This is our family, and we are just as diverse and blended as the different shirts that we all wear. We are a blended family, and my children have brought in blended families, and we represent all that is good and wonderful and challenging about being a large family. The occasion of this picture is special because after educating five children and being in a family where all siblings, in-laws, and extended family were college graduates, my husband was not. He applied to dental school after three years of college and was accepted, thus leaving him without an actual college degree. So when he retired and wanted to get his degree, he was told he could get an associate degree with the three years of college credit that he had, 
but he could not get a full degree. A degree was what he wanted, and so going for the full degree was what he decided to do. So after four years and many miles on the road and hours of study, he achieved his goal. And this is Michael walking across the stage at the University of Texas, and yes, he is that 70-year-old graduate that got a standing ovation. <laughs> this is me and my graduate. And even though we are not your typical 20-something-year-old couple on graduation day, we are both just as happy, and I am even more proud of him. Two of the messages that this sent to our children was that you're never too old to achieve your goals and that we are a family of lifelong learners. As I see this applying to myself, I have come to think of myself as a lifelong student and a lifelong learner of the Bible. I have found nothing more interesting or compelling than studying God's Word. And as I travel through this journey of studying the whole Bible, I have come to think of these individual studies that we do as being like an opportunity to live in a new country for an extended period of time and really getting to know the people there, to learn from their experiences, and most importantly, how this relates to their experiences and their relationship with God. I love to read commentaries and listen to sermons and podcasts and discover what other people smarter than myself have to share. I read once that information is external, but inspiration is internal. So like the eunuch that we are going to be talking about today, he could not understand what someone, what someone was, what was being said unless someone explained it to him. And I very much have benefited from these guides who have received their inspiration from the Holy Spirit, and through their information, I can look forward to that personal inspiration also. Chapters 8 and 9 have been wonderful to study, but what we must always keep in mind in the book of Acts is that it is the continued work of Jesus after his death and his resurrection, through the Holy Spirit, through the apostles, and through the various teachings, miracles, and signs. He is now building his church through his people like he said he would. What I hope to share this morning is what I have received externally through sermons and commentaries, and then internally through prayer and the definite inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What I would like for us to look at now is how the Holy Spirit built his church by persecution, people in places, and then Paul, originally known as Saul. We begin this concept of persecution that Nancy introduced us to last week with her wonderful lesson on Stephen. The church had known persecution up to this point, but it was about to go to a whole new level. Right at the beginning, in Acts 1, it says, 
there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And this persecution would now result in the commission of Acts 1.8, and it was going to be fulfilled. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. An interesting point is that persecution is not mentioned in 1.8. They didn't need to know about that. God was just telling, Jesus was just telling them what they needed to do, and he would provide what they needed during that time and to accomplish what he had for them. What is important and key to see here is that what we have had up to this time is a fairly localized spreading in and around Jerusalem of the gospel. This persecution would now result in the beginning of the great scattering throughout all Judea and Samaria. The center of the Jewish faith would still be in Jerusalem under the leadership of the apostles, apostles, but it would now begin moving in hundreds of miles in all directions. Just a note, the apostles seemed to be exempt from this persecution and they were allowed to stay in Jerusalem. One suggested reason for the apostles being allowed to stay was a very real hmm, real fear by the church leaders of the power they had begun to exhibit. In Acts 5, 12-13, it says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. None of the rest dared join them, but the apostles were held in high regard. This would cause the religious Jewish leaders in authority to hesitate to raise their hands against the apostles, but they would not hesitate to wield their power against the weaker and marginalized new Christian believers. In Acts 8.1, we first see Saul approving this execution of Stephen. Saul was considered brilliant, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was educated by one of the greatest teachers of that time, Gamaliel. Saul loved God, and he was motivated by the thought that he was defending God from this group of what he considered to be blasphemers. By killing Stephen, they silenced one spokesperson, but by persecuting the followers, the church officials created a wave of emboldened missionaries that now began to scatter. As tragic as Stephen's death was, he most assuredly held the same sentiment that Paul later expressed in Philippians 1-2. What happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And because of this, I rejoice. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You pull up one dandelion and you get rid of that one. But the seeds spread far and wide and cause many more to spring up. People and places. The Bible is full of interesting people, but the collection here in chapter, chapter 8 and 9 is truly remarkable. We get an early glimpse of Saul, and we see him as a respected, 
educated, and highly placed man in the church, and also as the acknowledged leading persecutor of the way. In his zeal for God, he became a fanatical persecutor who indiscriminately, in violent rage, went from house to house, dragging men and women off, putting them in prison. It would be hard to accurately assess what his individual role in God's plan through persecution was in pushing the new Christians out, preaching and sharing the word wherever they went. This was a huge advance of the gospel and in a way that only God could have designed. Among those scattered was Philip, whom we met last week. He was a Hellenist, but he was recognized as a man of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom. He was devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word and was a man full of faith. Philip travels north to the city of Samaria. It's hard for us to understand the boldness and fearlessness of Philip going into Samaria. Jesus made it look very easy. But the Samaritans were despised and thought by many as worse than the Gentiles. Many think that the cultural dividing lines here were much stronger than we have even experienced here in our own country during racial or political unrest. And this division was actually more closely similar to the caste of untouchables in certain cultures. Only Jesus saw the person, and that is what Philip was about to experience. Acts 8, 6 tells us about the reaction to Philip as he begins to preach in Samaria. The crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. They heard him and saw what he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So because of this, there was much joy in the city. Verse 12 said, Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, people were being baptized, both men and women. So now we meet one of the more interesting characters in the chapter, Simon the sorcerer. Philip was so effective, his message and his miracles were so powerful that even this man who was worshipped and considered divine by many came to listen to Philip. His motives were wrong he wanted some of Philip's power to make himself more power and he powerful, and he was even willing to pay for it. But because of his attention and interest in Philip, many others came and saw and witnessed Philip's message. Simon's followers would have come to hear Philip because Simon did. A totally unreached population was reached because of this sorcerer's interest. And they came to hear when they might not have been brave enough to do so otherwise. In Acts 8, 27, we meet the Ethiopian eunuch, who has become one of my very favorite characters in the text. We don't know exactly how he became this way, but he is shunned and rejected. But somehow along the way, the Lord had grabbed his heart. 
First of all, he must have purchased the scrolls of Isaiah. How much of it? We don't know. But he had been reading through it all along his journey, so he must have had quite a bit of it. How many scrolls would it take to have a complete copy of Isaiah? And how hard it must have been to read it that way, in a caravan, wandering through the desert. That definitely shows a lot of interest, keen interest, in studying the scriptures. He had come up a thousand miles from Ethiopia to worship at the temple, and he was now on his thousand-mile trip back. Few of the other people in the caravan would have associated with him, so he had plenty of time to read heaven. Interestingly, if you look at Deuteronomy 23.1, and I'd like for you to just jot down Deuteronomy 23.1, because it states very clearly that because of his condition, he would not have been allowed to worship in the temple. So what he had been longing for and anticipating throughout this long journey, worshiping in the temple, because he did not know this particular scripture, he would not have been able to be in with other believers. But even though that physical door is closed to him, he is blessed because in this vast thousand miles of desert, God providentially has him meet for a personal Bible study with this great teacher of that time, Philip. And this is where I identify so closely with him. When Philip asks if he understands what he is reading, he says, how can I if no one explains it to me? So here is the eunuch who has been ostracized and turned away and humiliated. Now is having the scriptures explained to him and then ultimately getting baptized and receiving the ultimate teacher through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. One application here is that evangelism is finding people where they are and giving them more than they expected. Hope and comfort and encouragement from God's Word. Wouldn't we all love to be able to be asked about one verse of Scripture, and from that, Rather than engaging in an argument, we would be able to present the whole gospel with gentleness and respect and love. This is no insignificant convert. He has access to the highest ranking officials in Africa. One interesting thought has been that this eunuch became a missionary and began to spread Christianity throughout Africa. The early author Homer, who wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey, several times called Ethiopia the end of the earth. So that gives us something to ponder as we consider whether talking to some people is worthwhile, but others that we might consider different from us, not so worthy. Paul and Saul. In chapter 9, we come back to Saul. As I said earlier, Saul saw Christians as blasphemers, and he was basically given a blank check by the Jewish leaders to persecute them. Damascus is 150 miles north of Jerusalem, about the distance from here to Dallas, and was the great capital city of Syria. Saul was going to drag people out of their homes all along the way and then continue his persecution in this major city. 
we are about to see one of the most significant conversions in the Bible, the conversion of Saul to Paul. God's plans for Saul have been different all along, and God is going to use all Saul's knowledge and training for God's plan that he has always had for his people. Saul doesn't just change. He is totally made brand new, new heart, new hope, new joy, new vision, with newly transformed eyes. And Saul's, after Saul's conversion, we get a glimpse here of a seemingly insignificant man named Ananias. This must have been a common name because we see it frequently. And this man seems to be no great Jewish leader or spiritual authority. He is simply a believing Jew in Damascus. My Bible called him a disciple. Yet this simple man is going to lay hands on and baptize Saul, who will become one of the greatest missionaries and gospel writers the world would ever know. Here is a good example of the seismic shift that was taking place throughout the church and the people of God. Saul, this great Jewish leader, had to humble himself after his conversion and be led, led blind to a place he did not know and then be humbled and be baptized by a common man of no great Jewish authority or significant, and certainly without any ceremony or recognition of who Saul thought he was. And here was this ordinary man had to move forward in boldness and stand before and speak to this great persecutor of the, of the church and speak the words God told him to speak. Both men had to humble themselves out of their perceived places in life and listen to the Holy Spirit and boldly obey the Spirit and not trust in their human understanding of what they thought their abilities were or what they thought God had planned for them. How long Ananias stayed there, we don't know. But as this great change came over Saul, this simple man, Ananias, for all we know, just a believer like you or me was blessed to see God's power at work in a mighty way. Abraham Lincoln is once quoted as saying, God must have loved ordinary people. He made so many of them. There are no ordinary people, and there are no ordinary Christians, and discovering our place in God's plan for his church and in service of his people is one of the endless joys of the Christian faith. This hater of God's people, Saul, is now having people dinner, meals with people he once considered worthy only persecuting. He's living in their homes. He was dragging them out of their homes. Jesus loves all people, and he gives them hope and converts his enemies into believers that can be used by him. God is doing a new thing, and he is using Saul to be his voice to the world of how things are going to change and how suffering would be a part of this change. Oh, I have just... Okay. Uh, in Acts 9, 4, Saul hears, Saul, Saul, 
Why are you persecuting me? Jesus is in heaven at this point. And this and in this verse, he is so clearly identifying with the church as his body that in Saul's persecution of the church, Jesus declares this is persecution of Jesus himself. Here he identifies us as his body. We are to be his witnesses and his missionaries, but also we are to know that when we suffer, he very personally enters into the pain of his people. What a precious thought that as we experience the hurts of this life, that we could also say, if what is happening to me is serving to advance the gospel, then because of this suffering, I rejoice. This is what makes us as Christians different. We have a Savior we can trust and believe in and who takes our sins and makes us righteous with him. He will take those failures, those horrible experiences, and those very bad choices and turn them into our strengths and witness for him. Paul is the perfect example of what the enemy meant for evil. God will use it for his good. What a shock to the enemy's system to see that this one mighty man who he thought he had all wrapped up and in his grip, this man was now on fire for the Lord. God changed Saul, the persecutor, to Paul, the apostle. So the Lord can change us from weak to being strong, from feeling insignificant to being significant for him. He can give us faith over fear, peace rather than worry, and more joy than any sadness we have ever experienced. In closing, I have always loved this familiar acronym, JOY, J-O-Y. Jesus, others, yourself. If you take the O out of joy, it doesn't make sense. It isn't even a word and certainly doesn't convey one of the greatest gifts of the Christian life. So where then is your joy? For many, it's in our homes, serving our families and being the best Christian wife mother, grandmother, that God intended us to be. For many, it is in our job. Listening to Rachel several weeks ago reminded me of what a responsibility and mission field our teachers have. Every workplace is a mission field. But Temple has a bounty of opportunities if you would like to take that O out in the community. On Sunday, we heard from the director of Hope Pregnancy Center. Many of you in this room are a big, big part of this very, very vital ministry in our community. This is one of Temple's five food pantries, church churches touching lives for Christ. This is last Tuesday. These cars go down two blocks and then wrap around three more blocks. This is not an unusual day. This is every Tuesday and every Saturday, every week. 
There will be one family in each car, but many times there are three families in a car. Getting a trunk full of food, the offer of prayer, and always a happy face and friendly blessing for their day. I recently found out that CTLC is the largest food pantry in Central Texas, having 1,000 active clients that we serve, families that are food challenged and food deficient. This area covers from south of Austin to north of Waco. And another fact is that this is the only food pantry of this size in Central Texas that is completely volunteer-run. Not one salaried person, 100% volunteers, 100% of our resources going to the people that we serve. After they pass around, they come around the side of the building, and what you're not going to be able to see is that inside the building, this is where all the food is processed. When you all bring food to the drop the first Sunday of each month, when you put those bags of food beside your car, this is where they are taken to CTLC. But we also have relationships with HEB, SAMS, Walmart, Walmart distribution, and truckers that have taken food or food items to stores that no longer want them. We have developed over 25 years a relationship. They will call us. We will go meet them and get what grocery stores have declined, or they will bring them to us. The food is supplied. The workers are few. This, okay, you can kind of see what they're doing here. Uh, that big box was like staples, peanut butter, jelly, beans, corn, flour, all sorts of things. But just this is food for one person, and we serve a 1,000 a thousand families. So you can see that this is a, an abundance and a blessing to these families. This is the, the lady in the blue is Flora, and the little lady in the, the green jacket is Sammy. Because another thing, every family in every car is prayed over. They're asked how their day was. How, how can we pray for you? What are your needs? Every family is contacted here, and then as they depart, given another encouraging word before they leave. Tim ended his message on Sunday asking us what we were devoted to. And then almost more convictingly, what would others say we are devoted to? We should all say that we are devoted to studying God's word. But just as with those five children in the first slide with all those wonderful degrees, that learn, what they learn is not much use to them or their family if they don't put it into use. Temple has an abundance of opportunities to serve, and many of you sitting right here in this room are involved with ministries all over this city on a regular basis. We have many missionaries sitting among us, past, present, and future. TBC truly has a global outreach, but also a powerful and broad-based service, broad-based service 
right here to those in our own community. So does this move your heart to go and not wait, but to go and look for others to help? Does it prick your heart to really look for the O that will complete your joy? Or does it cut to your heart to serve the Savior and continue to build and grow His church right here in Temple, Texas? Let's pray. Lord, fill us with your spirit and your power so we can boldly go and be your witnesses where you have placed us and to faithfully support those you are sending out to all parts of the world. Help us not to just be students of the word, but those who joyfully serve others. Let the blessings we have received be reflected to others so that our devotion to you shines forth above all else. Lord, I praise you. I honor you. I exalt your name. Help us to walk by faith and not by fear to work what you have planned ahead for us to do. Lord, it's in the precious and holy name of your son, Jesus Christ, that I pray. Amen.